Man, it says like a marching band was about to come out. That's amazing. Hey, I saw some of you nodding your head out there too. You weren't in a dance, weren't you? But we're in church, so keep that under control. All right, I'm just kidding. You can dance all you want. All right, hey, uh, before we get into this conversation, I'm so glad to be here this weekend. I, I love coming to RCC. It's always so fun. But this weekend, I'm especially excited when Paul asked me about this weekend, and I'll tell you why. It's because you guys tonight, all locations, right, meeting in Mariana for evening vision tonight, and I am so excited. I'm coming tonight. I know that I would love to meet you. Paul would love to meet you here. We're going to have so much fun as a, truly as a church family all coming together. So 5 o'clock, uh, evening of vision starts here, and then at 6 o'clock, if you can smell something in the room already here in Mariana, I think they are uh, making pulled pork for tonight. I think the guy's been smoking it all night long. He's slept in his truck. I mean, if nothing else, we should come and tell that guy thank you and eat his food. So be here five o'clock tonight, evening of vision. It's going to be incredible. Uh, Paul and I have been talking about just all the things that have happened across the church. And man, you just don't want to miss that celebration. And then of course, you don't want to miss free pork either. So either way, uh, five o'clock for that, six o'clock, we're going to have a meal together. So uh, make sure you're here for that. Now, I am really excited about today's question. Uh, as you know, we're in this series, right? It, it ain't rocket surgery. And we've been introducing some new questions that we should incorporate into our life to help us eventually live the life we want to live, to move us in the direction of the things that we're really longing for, the things we're kind of hoping for. And so today's question is going to be a really great question. It's going to be painfully clarifying, I think. Um, when I began to think about this specific question that we were going to talk about today, I began to think about the moments in my life where maybe I wish I would have asked that question or the moments in my life where I was uh, maybe confronted with a question that felt similar to this question. And it <laughs> reminded me of a really great moment. Um, when, when I was younger, I, I grew up going to church. A lot of you know that. I, I've been in church since I was like negative nine months old. Like I am churched, man, I'm churched. And so growing up in church was awesome. I loved going to youth group. I went to this great church. We had youth group and it was, you know, Wednesday night deal. It was awesome. And so when I got married after college and my wife and I grew up, dating through high school as well, and we went to the same church, and so, I mean, of course we love youth group. We got to spend more time together, and we'd hold hands like, you know, in the youth group room. It was awesome, you know, super awesome. So I loved youth group, and I thought, you know, now that we're, you know, adults, you know, we were 22, now that we're adults, and, and we should volunteer at this church that we like, and so we talked about it, and we both agreed, well, we should volunteer in youth group. I mean, we loved youth group, and we really liked the volunteers. They were just helpful. They were fun, you know, and, and, and so we thought, let's do that. And so we signed up and we started volunteering in the youth group. Well, it didn't take long before the youth pastor and I met and, and we knew each other. And, 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 and he asked me, you know, on Wednesday nights, hey, what do you think about like doing the, the talk, the little message on Wednesday night? And I had never preached or taught or anything like that, but I was in the marketplace. I was a consultant. I'm constantly talking to business leaders. And I thought, I mean, how hard can it be? These 16-year-old doofuses, I can talk to them, you know? So... First night, pretty easy, he gave me the notes a week before, I looked it over and it wasn't that complicated and I talked about it, it was really fun. I had so much fun doing it, you know? So two or three weeks later, you know, I, I, I was really kind of getting into a groove. I was starting to feel comfortable with it and every Wednesday he would give me the talk for the next Wednesday. So one Wednesday night, he handed me the talk for the next Wednesday and I looked at it and it was on morality. And I thought, you probably want somebody else to give this one. Like, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I mean, I was 22. I was newlywed, so I was like experienced. But the, the problem with morality night in youth group is this high attendance night. Like, 
I don't know if you know this or not, but the night you talk about morality is like the teenagers come out, they invite all their friends, they are wide-eyed, right? Now, the adult on stage is terrified, but the kids, man, they are pumped, they are stoked about this conversation, right? So, and I knew that was going to be happening because that's how I was when I was 16. I loved morality night. I loved and hated it because you loved it because you loved talking about it. You hated it because you got told not to do it. So it was like kind of a bummer in the end, but... I knew I was going to show up, and I was going to be responsible for leading these kids around morality, and I did not really want to do it, but I was the talker, so I had to do it. So Wednesday, I showed up, went through the content, blacked out once, no big deal, you know. It ended, and I was just honestly grateful that we made it through, and they were like, you know, normally we'd, normally we'd have 15, you know, students or 20 students on Wednesday night. There were like 6,000 of them there that night. It was <laughs> packed for morality night, and so I finished the message. I'm really excited that it's over, basically. We're about to go to our little small group discussion, and a kid walks up, uh, and, and, and this kid, he, he's kind of nervous, but he also says, I have a question, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm not taking questions right now. <laughs> I was kidding, I didn't say that. So the, the kid comes up, and he goes, I have a question. It was like, oh, okay, you know, like, like what's your question? I'm an expert, I'm 22, I, I got everything. I know all the answers. You know, what, what's your question? And here's the question he asked me, it's incredible. He said, here's my question. How far is too far? And, and I thought for a second, and, and I thought, well, this is actually a pretty easy question to answer. You know, how, how far is too far? Well, asking me this question, that's too far. Like, <laughs> duh, this is very easy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But think about it for a second. How far is too far? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have asked this question before? All right? How many of you are still asking this question? Right? Like, how far is too far? It's such an incredible question. And it's just the normal question that we answer. I remember being 16, wondering this question. I remember wondering, well, how far is too far? Like, how far can we go? How far can you do? How far, how far, how far can you go? Without maybe getting into trouble, without a consequence. Like, well, even what does God think about that, that? How far can you go? Now, of course, you know, as a teenager, we kind of think that's a teenage question. But as you all know, as adults, as we get older, the question doesn't go away. The question just begins to look a little different. We're always asking this same question, how far is too far? We just say it with different words. For instance, we would say, you know, how fast can I go without getting a ticket? How fast can I go? It depends on the state, I think. Nine miles or 14, I'm not sure. But how fast can I go over the speed limit? How far can I go, right? Or maybe every, every uh, April 15th, how many deductions before I can raise the IRS's red flags? You know, how many deductions can I really take? You know, is it legal? Ah, there's a loophole in that, I think, right? You know, don't ask, don't tell, right? So whatever, like I'll just, you know, or, and I know none of you have done this, but you know, like what if I don't inhale, you know? <laughs> I know you've never done that, but you know people, you know who did that. I remember growing up, and there was a, uh, I can't remember what company it was, it was a beer company, and they always, kind of their, their slogan was, know when to say when. And I remember thinking like, well, know when to say when, the only way to figure out when is to go way past when, and then go, oh, okay, that was when. Like, <laughs> four beers ago was when, so next time, you know, like, and by the way, apparently it's a moving target, so I don't know, you know, like. Like, but that's how we live, right? We are constantly living in the world of, of how far is too far. Even as adults, we're always asking this question. And it's a little bit kind of just in us to ask this question. And, and we ask this question in so many phases of our life. Like, you were always wondering, like, is it legal or illegal? What's the line? How far is too far before what's legal becomes illegal? Or what's responsible and irresponsible? Where's the line between being responsible and now we're being a little irresponsible? 
Of course, moral and immoral, we ask that a lot. Or ethical versus unethical. Like, there is just something, right, in the human condition that wants to know where the line is. There's just something in all of us. It's like the default position to want to get as close to the line as we can, to get as close to the fire as we can without being burned, to get as close to danger without it becoming dangerous. There's just something in all of us that wants to get as close to the line, which means we're always wanting to know where the line is. There's just something in us that wants to know how far can we go without getting caught. And what really kind of fuels this desire to know where the line is, it's really a faulty assumption about lines. The the, the reason that we kind of lean this way is because it's the default position of our kind of human heart. But the problem is we have a faulty assumption about these lines. I mean, think about it. When we think about these lines, what we're really assuming, we make some assumptions, right? We're assuming things like this. If it's not wrong, it's probably all right. If, If it's not legal, I mean, if it's not illegal, it's probably permissible. If it's not immoral, then it's acceptable, right? If it's not over the line, then yeah, I mean, what's the big deal? It's fine. Now, some of you may see that and think, well, yeah, I mean, it's probably okay, right? I mean, if it's not illegal, what's the big deal? If it's not over the line, then yeah, who cares? It's fine. But just for a second, like put your, your big brother, your, your big sister hat on for a minute, or if you're a parent, put your parent hat on. Like you would never look at your kids you would never look at your little brother. You would never look at your spouse and go, well, let's just you know, live as low as we can go. Like, let's set the bar as low as we can go. Let's not aim for anything better. Let's just make sure it's not illegal. Like, none of us would encourage our kids to, to do that. Like, none of us would say, let's just make sure we don't break the law. I mean, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to live. These assumptions really are kind of organized Uh, in a way that leads us to live our lives to the lowest common denominator. If we're always trying to figure out where the line is and we're always trying to live as close to the line as we can, we're basically uh, uh, organizing our life around the lowest common denominator of life, which leads us to ask all sorts of other kinds of questions, you know, like how low can I really go before falling off the cliff? You're like, how close to bad can I get? without actually being bad, right? How, how wrong can I be? How close to wrong can I be without actually doing something wrong? Or, you know, if you're religious, how, how close to sin can I get before actually sinning? And of course, if we ask that question long enough and we begin to creep up to the edge of the line as close as we can in all these different areas of our life, eventually, you know what we do, right? It's human nature. We, we kind of tip our foot over the line just a little bit, you know? Like before long, we start asking things like, you know, how far over the line can I go without getting caught or maybe without experiencing a consequence or, you know, how unethical or how immoral or how insensitive, you know, can I be without creating kind of an outcome that's unmanageable for me. I mean, we begin to step over the line just enough. How long can I neglect my family? How long can I neglect my health? Or how long can I neglect my finances without really feeling the effects or without everybody else feeling the effects? How, you know, how, how much can I indulge in an addictive behavior before that addiction becomes a problem? Basically, it's like, how close to the edge of the cliff can I get? And the reality is, at the edge of the cliff, the view may be beautiful, but one slip, and we've fallen off, right? We leave ourselves no margin for error when we decide to put our lives right up to 
the edge. And when we begin to ask questions like this, is there anything wrong with this? It inevitably leads us to the next question. How did I get myself into this? Right? I mean, think about how this works. The problem is that when we make decisions based on how close to the line can we get, we're not really just making one decision. It's usually a part of a decision process. It's almost like a part of a series. We, we get to the edge of that cliff and we look over and the reality is standing that close to the edge is foolish. It's incredibly dangerous. We, we leave ourselves no margin for error. We, we leave ourselves no margin. It's why on the road when they put you know, metal boundaries on the road. They don't put the boundary right on the edge of the cliff. They put it right on the edge of the road. So if you hit it, you've got a lot of room before the edge of the cliff. There's a reason for that. But we don't do that in our lives enough. And so we live right up until the edge. And we know that we don't want to do this because when we see other people doing it, we react to it. I mean, we can see it clearly in other people. We don't often see this clearly in our own lives. But when we watch other people, again, put that parent hat on, that big brother, big sister hat on, when you see somebody making decisions up to the edge, trying to find a line, you react to that. And the reason you react is because you know that if they get too close to the edge, something might tip over. If they get too close to the edge of the cliff, they may accidentally slip. And so you react to that because you know, you know that there's a series of questions happening. You know that there's this series of things that are going on. So here's the reality. There, there has to be a better question than where is the line. There, there has to be a better question in our life that doesn't kind of lead us to the lowest common denominator. There has to be a question that allows us not just to edge up to consequence, edge up to the fire, edge up to danger. There's gotta be a better question. And really, that's what this entire series has been about. This entire series has been about asking better questions so that we can live better lives. I mean, in this series, we, we've already been through three questions. If you haven't heard the three questions Paul has already given you, you gotta go on the app or go online and watch those messages. They are just so, so, so helpful. The first question that we asked is this, um, wh why do I want to do this really? Now, not why do I wanna do this, but why do you wanna do it Really? It's an honest, introspective question, you know? Well, why did we buy that huge house? Really, you know? Well, we bought it because we wanted to, you know, we, when the missionaries come in town, we wanna to have extra bedrooms for them, and like, no, like, why did you do it really? Well, because I wanted my neighbors to be jealous. Ah, there you go, right? <laughs> so why did you do it really, right? And then the second question we asked is, what story do I want to tell? I, I, I won't talk about this one for long, but just really quick. This question has been so unbelievably helpful for me as a pastor. I, I meet with people all the time, and they're going through problems, struggles, a lot of marriage problems, right? And you sit down with a spouse who maybe uh, has had, you know, their, their wife, their husband has behaved in a way unbecoming of the marriage. Maybe they have been caught cheating, you know, whatever it is. And, and we'll sit down and talk. I could take you to spots all over North Atlanta where I've sat in coffee shops and restaurants and asked this question to a husband or to a wife, hey, and... When you think about what's happening right now, it seems so ridiculously painful and difficult, but eventually this moment will be a story that you tell. What story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell the story that you walked away in anger, or do you want to tell the story that you did everything possible? Eventually, it's just a story you tell. That's true of everything in our life. And the beauty is we're all writing our story, so we can decide what story we want to tell. 
And then last week, Paul introduced this question, which I love. Is there a tension that needs your attention? Is there a tension in your life? Is there a tension in a relationship? Is there a tension somewhere around you that you just haven't been paying attention to and you really need to engage in it? Today, we're gonna ask a new question. But today's question is kind of an interesting question. It's not just a new question. It's actually a replacement question. I'm gonna try to help you replace how far can I go with a better question, a question that leads to such clarity and such better decisions. Now, the problem with this question, though, is it takes a lot of maturity to ask it. This is why we call it the maturity question. This maturity question is not the easiest question to ask, and it's certainly not the default question for us to ask, but it is an unbelievably important question to ask. This question, this maturity question, is founded upon a piece of wisdom given to us by Solomon, King Solomon. If you know anything about uh, ancient Israel, all right, a lot of you probably don't know a ton about it, no big deal. Uh, there were three kings, and then before the kingdom got divided and everything got messed up, but King Solomon was that third king. He was one of those kings. And God gave him the ability to have one thing. Basically, he could have one wish, and Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for money, didn't ask for riches, fame. He didn't ask for any of that. He asked for wisdom, and God gave it to him. And he wanted wisdom to lead the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, well. And God gave it to him. In fact, he gave him so much wisdom, we find out that people from all over the world, I mean, thousands and thousands of miles away, would travel in to just sit at the feet of King Solomon, to ask him questions, to listen to his wisdom. And he wrote a book for us, the book of Proverbs. It's just a gathering of wisdom from him. Who knows how many wise sayings he had, but we have a pretty good collection, 31 chapters for us in the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 27, he says this one statement that if we can dig and understand it, is so clarifying. And it gives us a question to ask. Here's the wisdom from Solomon. He says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. So here's what Solomon basically is saying. There are two kinds of people in the world, basically. There are prudent people and simple people. And he says, simple people are basically foolish people. Simple people are people who see danger ahead down the road and go, eh, I'm not worried about it. They, they, they're always wondering, how close can I get to this danger without it becoming dangerous? How, how close can I get to that fire without it burning me? Or maybe can I go around it? Or the real foolish people says, hey, I know that that's dangerous for other people, but it's probably okay for me. Like, I know that this has caused problems for other people, but eh, I bet it's, I bet it's fine. And of course, he says that on the other side of this is the prudent person or the wise person. The wise person, the prudent person, sees danger ahead and immediately stops. They don't get as close to it as they can. They don't try to go around it. They don't try to make excuses for it. The wise person, right, the prudent person, sees danger and immediately takes refuge. They see danger and they immediately pull back and go, oh, we gotta really think about this. That's what wise people do. And so the maturity question that we get from Solomon is just simply this, what is the wise Thing to do. Instead of asking, how close can I get? We ask, what is the wise thing to do? Instead of asking, is there anything wrong with this? We, we ask, well, well, what is the wise thing to do? And the reason that we know this is a better question is because when we think about our life, 
And as we think about kind of the bags that we're carrying through life because of decisions that we made, we think about our greatest regrets, and I hate to bring you back to that, but just for a second. Isn't it true, if you think about your greatest regret, isn't it true that you didn't wake up that morning and think, you know, today I think I'm gonna ruin my life. Like nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, today's the day I become an addict. Like I'm pumped about that, you know? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I'm gonna just financially ruin everything right now. Nobody does that. And isn't it true that your greatest regret came from a series of decisions, not just one moment? Isn't that true, right? Your greatest regret was preceded by a series of unwise decisions. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm gonna ruin my marriage today. They do wake up in the morning and say, oh, but it's probably okay to go to dinner with her while I'm on this road trip. It's just one unwise decision. But one unwise decision typically precedes another unwise decision and another unwise decision. And eventually, we have regret. Eventually, we have baggage. That's why this question is so wonderful. What is the wise thing to do? Not what's the legal, not what's the ethical, but what's the wise thing to do? Again, think about this from a different context for a minute. Again, if you're like a parent, you would never look at your kids and go, you know, hey, the question I want you to really ask is how far is too far? You would never look at your kids and say that. You look at your kids and say, I want you to ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? You know, if, if, if you like are married, you would never look at your spouse and go, hey, just, you know, while, while you're kind of away and while you're on this trip, I just want you to always think, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, not over the line, it's probably fine. You would never say that. You would want your spouse asking the question, what is the wise thing to do, right? If you work somewhere, you don't want your boss, you know, always walking around going, is it really unethical? That's how you get in trouble. You want your boss saying, what is the wise thing to do? And the reason we have to really work to do this, and the reason we call it the maturity question is like, let's just be honest, no one in our world, no one in our life is encouraging wisdom. Like no one around you is encouraging you. I mean, maybe a spouse or a friend, but the world is not encouraging you to slow down, to be careful, to be wise, to use self-control. Like no one is doing that. When's the last time you saw an ad on television or on YouTube that said, hey, we really want you to buy this, but before you do, think it over. Like you have never been at a store and the sales associate went, you know, I really think this would be perfect for you, but go home and think about it for 30 days and then come back. No one does that. In fact, they're trained to get you in the vehicle before you leave. Why? They don't want you thinking. They don't want you to be wise. This question is so important for our life. And by the way, it's so important for the lives of the people around you who you love and, and who love you too. I, I, I wanna do this kind of as we fi finish this, this question, as we wrap up the conversation. I wanna give you like three specific anchors that you can attach to this question that will really help you have even more clarity. Because here's the reality. Asking what is the wise thing to do is helpful, but sometimes in, in moments, it isn't exactly evident. It's not exactly clear what's wise. But if we add these three anchors, it really cuts through the chaos and provides incredible, incredible clarity. Here's the full question I'm gonna ask you to memorize, right? In light of my past experience, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? That's the full question. Can we just all say this together, like Blunttown Shipley out loud online? Let's all say it together. Ready? One, two, three. In light of my past experience, 
my current circumstances and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? That's the question. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard that statement? You probably have. Those, those who re, can't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Have you heard that? This is why we take history in school. We wanna learn from history. We wanna repeat the good things. We wanna not repeat the things we've gotten wrong historically. Well, this is true in your life as well, right? Those, those who don't pay attention to what got them into trouble yesterday are liable to end up in the same trouble tomorrow. That's not as catchy, but it's true, right? Like, if you don't pay attention to your past, you are liable to accidentally, right, enter into a moment that you didn't learn from your past. You end up in the same trouble that you were in previously because you just didn't pay attention. You didn't learn. You didn't think about your past. That's why this part of the question is so important in light of my past experience. What is the wise thing for me to do in light of my past experience, right? Our, our past, right, predisposes us to specific tendencies or temptations or addictions or maybe blind spots. This is why when you go to meet with a counselor, they wanna unpack your past. You're like, no, no, my problem is now. In fact, she is my problem, right? But my problem is now. And they go, mm, kinda, but let me talk about what's happened in your past. The reason is your past informs your present. It always does. And each of us are a unique collection of past experiences. And we should learn from those things. Can I give you just a quick example? And this isn't for everybody, but this was for me. Um, my mom and dad both grew up. They dated through the end of high school through college, but they grew up in this small town in middle Georgia, and both of their grandfathers, I'm sorry, both of my grandfathers, their fathers, were alcoholics. And, and I don't mean like they had a beer at home after work. I mean like they had five beers at the bar after work, and then they came home and kept going. They were that kind of alcoholics. My mom and dad would tell you that it was a really, really horrible way to grow up. My mom would never invite any friends over because you never knew what dad was gonna be there. Just too scary. My dad would never even want to go home because he knew that his drunk father eventually would fall into a, a moment of verbal and physical abuse with him and maybe his siblings and his mother. So when they were older and they began to get married and they got married, they just decided we're not going to have alcohol in our house. And we didn't. I, I'm telling you, I grew up in a completely dry house. We would have crushed prohibition, like incredible at it. And, and I remember finding a beer can one day in our yard, like somebody had thrown it out and I picked it up and smelled it and I was like, ugh, and my dad went, this is why we don't drink that, you know? But I, as I got older, they unpacked why they didn't have alcohol in the house and they told me why. And, and they didn't use this term, but they basically said, in light of our past experiences, it just isn't wise, you know? Again, they didn't say it this way, but I think they felt, I, I have never seen anyone whose story went, you know, things weren't going well, and we just started drinking, and it fixed everything. You know, like our marriage has fallen apart, and we just started getting drunk, man. It was awesome, you know? Like my kids, you know, weren't doing well, and I know they're only eight, but we just started giving them whiskey, you know? Like, nobody has that story, you know? Nobody has that story. And so my parents just decided we're not gonna drink. Now, here's the, here's the question. Is there anything wrong with having a glass of wine with, with a steak? Probably not. Is there anything wrong with having a beer with a pizza? I don't know, probably not. But in light of your past experiences, is it the wise thing to do? That's why this question is so helpful. Because is it legal? Is it the right answer, right? Asking the question, is it ethical? Is it moral? That's the lowest common denominator. There's nothing illegal about having a glass of wine. But in light of my parents' past experiences, is it the wise thing to do? In light of your past experiences, what's the wise thing to do? Now, of course, 
we don't want to just stop there. We want to also talk about our current circumstances. And in light of our past experiences and your current circumstance, what is the wise thing for you to do? You owe it to yourself, right, to ask this question. And here's why. Your current emotions, your current state of mind will play into the decisions that you make. It, I can tell you, I think unequivocally, I have never had to apologize to someone if I took 48 hours before I responded. I have apologized a lot for reacting in 48 seconds, right? Give me a couple of days, I'm much kinder, you know? In the moment, I rarely get it right. And that's how our current circumstances often are. For instance, again, not for you specifically, but just as an example, let's say that you've been in a dating relationship. You've been in a dating relationship for a year or two. I mean, this is, is pretty significant. And all of a sudden, you've broken up. Now, here's the question. Is it illegal to jump right back into another dating relationship? No. Is it unethical? No. Is it immoral? No. But is it wise? Probably not. Probably not. In light of the current emotions, the current state, it's just not wise to do that. And here's our last part. The last anchor is our future. In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? You know, I mentioned I worked a lot in student ministry, and I had so much fun doing that as a volunteer. And, and my first professional Christian job at a church was at students. I just loved it. And, you know, nothing broke my heart more than watching a student make an unwise decision that usually led to a series of unwise decisions that created regret that it's gonna follow them their entire life. Nothing broke my heart more than that. We, we talked, I think, every week in student ministry about making wise choices. And you know the reason? Is we know that wise choices lead to the future that they want. Unwise choices, even if they're legal, even if they're okay, even if it didn't hurt anybody, often led to the life they didn't want. It, it, they had bags to drag around with them, sometimes for the rest of their life, you know? And here's the reality. You know what you want your future to look like, right? I mean, financially. You know what you want your future to look like financially the next five or, or 10 years from now. Like, you know what you want that to look like. So in light of that, right, in light of your future hopes, what's the wise thing to do now? Buy a boat? Maybe. Buy the big house? I don't know. Maybe. Is that wise? Do you have the money today? Yeah, sure. But in light of what you want to see happen in five or 10 years, what's the wise thing to do? Again, dating, right? I, let's say that you're not married, but you really would like to be one day. And you're kind of looking for the one, and you don't know who that person is, and you're kind of praying and hoping you find them. But in light of what you want to experience relationally, in light of what you hope to experience romantically, what is the wise way to live today in light of what you want then? If you're married, I'm going to assume the best about you, that you want to finish the marriage together. You want to make it all the way through. You want to experience grandchildren together. In light of that hope, in light of that dream, what is the wise thing to do today? In wisdom, how do you prioritize your marriage today so you can finish well tomorrow, right? In wisdom, what is the wise thing to do in your relationship? See, the problem, the problem with this is that nobody, right, nobody plans to undermine their own future. They just don't plan not to. So when we think about our future, we have to ask that question. What is the wise thing to do in light of what I want? That's why these three anchors are so important. In light of my past experience and current circumstances and future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Now, 
If you begin asking this question, and I think you should, if you begin asking this question, here's what you're going to do, right? It's just our default human condition. You're going to begin to make excuses for the choice you want to make, not the wise choice. And you're going to say, no, it's not that unwise. And your excuses will sound something like this. You'll say, but, but I'm not hurting anybody except for you who are a, a somebody, but don't worry about that, you know. I can handle it. It's the beer ad, you know, know when to say when, you know. I can handle it. I got it under control, right? There's no law against it. God will forgive me. And while all of that may actually be true, it might still also be unwise. See, here's the reality. We can hold ethical and unwise in the same hand. A decision can be legal and terribly unwise at the same time. And the problem with unwise is unwise is a gateway to regret. It always is. We never see a person make an unwise decision and celebrate it because it always puts them on a path. So I guess the real question today is, are you willing to ask this painfully clarifying question? In, in light of your past experiences, in light of your current circumstance, in light of what you hope and what you dream will be true in the future for you, what is the wise thing to do right now? See, here's what we want for all of us. We do not want to settle. We, we don't want to settle for good. We shouldn't settle for what's legal. We shouldn't settle for what's permissible, acceptable, or even tolerable, right? Like, I mean, if you do, if you do settle that way, you'll eventually find yourself living as dangerously close to regret as you possibly can. But this question, because it's founded and based in wisdom, wisdom, wisdom allows you to customize your decision-making process so that your specific decisions are made through a lens of wisdom. In light of your past experiences, your current circumstances, and your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? Can we pray together? Father God, thank you so much for Solomon. Thank you that he asked for wisdom and that with that gift that you gave him that we are still benefiting from it. So Father, I just, I really, I pray for all of us who, who are listening to this and we're, we're processing this. And I know a lot of us are processing how I wish I'd have heard this question before spring break. I wish I would have heard this question when I was 12. I wish I would have heard before I said yes. And while we can't undo that, Father, we can begin from this point forward prioritizing the life that you really want for us, this full life that's found only in you and through wise, wise choices, wise decisions. So God, I just pray that you'll give us the courage to ask this question. And just as much, I pray that you will give us the wisdom to see how clear life can become if we allow this to be the lens through which we live. So God, we love you. Thank you for this question. And Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, uh, once again, I cannot wait for all of you to be here tonight uh, at the Mariana location for our evening of vision. Five o'clock, don't miss it. Uh, and uh, of course, we would love to see you there. Uh, all of you at all of our locations, you are dismissed. Thanks so much. See you next time.